And good morning. Uh, I want to pay a particular welcome to those of you who are visiting, maybe those who are online with us today on this uh, still snow-packed roads, kind of freezing cold day. Um, it is so good to be in, in worship together. Uh, I, I want to point out the, the flowers are for uh, the, the memorial service we had for Scott Smith yesterday. And just want to pay a particular welcome, uh, thank you to our, our worship team and our staff for going above and beyond yesterday. Um, a, a peaceful service, I will say, for a man who we dearly love and, and miss. Um, we are in the midst of a, a sermon series on John's gospel that we've called So That You May Believe. Those are John's words. He said he wrote this gospel in order that in hearing the words of the good news, we would come to have faith. And today we're, we're going to turn our Bibles to John's gospel chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 21. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to jump into this, this story with you. Uh, this morning at about 3.15 in the morning, uh, my littlest girl, Addie, she woke up from a nightmare. And she was just screaming and crying, and I thought, I'm going to go make her night better. So I went into her room to tuck her in and uh, walked in and uh, went over to pat her head, and uh, she immediately began screaming, no, I want mommy, I want mommy. And uh, so I was relieved of my duties immediately. But uh, here's the fun part. Um, then, uh, then God got a hold of me. So, uh, so I give you that news for two reasons. One, this sermon's got some bonus material in it, written from three to six in the morning this morning. And uh, two, nobody should fall asleep uh, but me, okay? Deal? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough to, to speak to us through it. And God, so we confess this morning our distractions, Lord, our, our fears and failures. God, all the things that might cloud us from hearing from you, and we just ask right now by your Holy Spirit, speak to us. God, guide our lives in such a way that you would be our true north. Lord, that you would be the rock of our salvation. And Lord, as we open up the, the most familiar passage of our faith today, I just pray, would you fall afresh those words on our hearts again. Lord, that we would not only hear them, but that we would, we would be changed by them, transformed by them. God, that we would leave this place today different than we came. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter three. We're gonna read verses one to 21 today. Hear now God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Imagine with me a a pitch black night. It's somewhere between, say, 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., Your heartbeat is racing. The feeling of adrenaline is pumping through your body because you know that what you're about to do could cost you everything. And so in the cover of darkness, you sneak out your door and you begin down the alley behind your house. And as you carefully walk through the the moonlit town, you don't dare look up. No one can know what you're up to. And your reputation would be tarnished. You would be ruined if you were found out. See, because the place that you are going is condemned. It's been ostracized by every friend you know because the person who lives there is the perceived enemy of your people. This was the story of Nicodemus and Christ. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. And on the outside, life was picture perfect, but on the inside, he was a walking empty vessel. See, Pharisees were known for their righteousness. They were above it all. In fact, that word Pharisee, it it actually means to be set apart, set apart from the crowd. And they were proud of that persona. The only problem is they were all faking it. They had learned to play the part of perfection, and yet there wasn't one who came close to the mark. And even though they all looked the part, they knew deep down how plastic life had become. The problem was, Everyone looked around at them and was trying to live into the falsehood. But there was one man who saw through the facade as no one else ever had before. See, because we judge by appearances, but the Lord judges by the heart. And his love, in his love, Christ called these actors out for who they really were. In fact, Matthew's gospel tells us these words of Jesus. He said, the Pharisees don't even practice what they preach. It's an uncomfortable thing to be called out for who we really are, isn't it? 
I mean, think about this. We, we all live into some pharisaical tendencies in this life. We want our Instagram posts and our, our Facebook pictures to look just right so that everyone will know how perfect my life is. We, we smile for the camera and pretend to have it all together, show up on Sunday morning ensuring that our dirty laundry stays behind the scenes. And yet the last thing Christ cared about was appearances. See, there wasn't a Pharisee in this town who didn't at least have concern, if not full-on hatred, for who Jesus was. He was a threat to the image that they had worked so hard to create for the mill. But this man, Nicodemus, for whatever reason, he's left the party lines. He sneaks out in the dead of night to the one who he knows, knows him better than anyone else could. And hidden by the cover of darkness, Nicodemus begins to explain himself to Christ. Look at this in verse 2. He says, we know you're a teacher from God. No one can perform signs like that without God's help. It's obvious Nicodemus has come searching for answers. Not only by the words that he speaks, but the actions that he's just taken. And it's, it's clear he's wrestling with who he really is inside so Christ cuts to the chase. He just fast forwards through all the mini lesson and gets right to the heart of the matter. Look at this in verse three. He tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And what follows is perhaps the most important lesson of our faith. You know, it's hard to put fresh ears on that concept, isn't it? The idea of being reborn. How would you define it? You know, the latest iPhone comes out and the, the media describes the fresh look as rebirth, a transformation of last year's model. Or the latest Tesla rolls out onto the stage and we hear the CEO talk about the automobile reborn. Just last year, uh, planners did a Super Bowl commercial. Oh, look at this image, you might remember this. With all the characters gathered around the graveside to remember the life of Mr. Peanut. Do you remember that? And just as the eulogy begins, a tear falls from one of the attendees into the dirt, and it sprouts a plant, and a baby peanut is born again. See, this is no unfamiliar concept to our mainstream media. To, to be born again, we know, is to have a new beginning, a, a new start, a transformation. What was dead and old is now alive and new. In fact, I learned this week, back in 1984, there was a Massive sea storm that had wiped out an entire beach in Ireland. It left nothing but rock pools behind. And the locals counted this as a total loss. In fact, insurance companies filled their obligations. Paradise was gone. But some 30 years later, in 2017, something took place no one could have imagined. There was a freak tide that hit the region. And by some miracle, it brought back a quarter mile of beach again, covered in sand. What was once gone forever had now reemerged as brand new. Can you guess what the locals called it? Born Again Beach. See, but really, when it comes to our faith, what does it mean to be born again? I ask that because in this particular moment between Nicodemus and Jesus, never has a sentence created more confusion in a man. Just think about what it would be like to hear that phrase for the first time. Nicodemus is an expert in the scriptures. He's a religious pro. He knows all about this word, the kingdom. But I promise you, he has never heard anyone talk about being born a second time, ever. 
And as much as we think we understand this concept, we're going to find out this morning it's a lot more involved than what first meets the eye. See, we know what it is to be born, right? Life begins at conception. Pregnancy lasts 280 days, 40 weeks. The bun sits in the oven. That is the mother's womb. And in time, a little baby boy or girl emerges. But what is it to be reborn? See, Nicodemus, he's taken completely off guard because the mechanics of the concept don't work out. We understand birth for the first time. That makes sense. That's natural. But a grown man being born for a second time, the more that we think about that image, the more it becomes kind of like a comedy routine, right? It's not possible. Look at this in verse 4. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the womb? Now, to Nicodemus, this doesn't make any sense at all. I just want to reiterate real quickly how important it is that we get this concept right. See, because being born a second time, that is about our salvation. This concept is about seeing the kingdom of God, Jesus says. And if we get this wrong, the foundations of our faith begin to crumble and the cards start to fall. So let's just go back over what we've learned so far. Nicodemus comes to Christ searching for answers to life questions. He looks the part, but he knows he's a wreck. And we don't know his heart, but I'm, I'm sure we can all guess the questions within him. We all have them. What do I do with my past? I struggle in shame. What about my, my guilt, my imperfections, my, my brokenness? How do I get into this place, this rumored place called heaven? So Jesus said to him, if you want to see uh, the kingdom of God, it's as simple as this, you must be born again. Now, I guarantee you that is the last answer in the world Nicodemus would have been expecting. Because as a Pharisee, you were looking for rules to follow. New boxes to check off on your lists of perfection. New steps to take. It reminds me of the, the rich young ruler coming to Christ. He says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Give me some chores. That would be the question of a Pharisee. But Jesus tells Nicodemus, you are spiritually dead. And the dead can't do anything to save themselves. See, despite how good you look or despite how many laws you have or haven't followed, you are dead. And unless you're reborn, you will never again see the kingdom of God. Look at how Ephesians 2 says it. And you were dead in the trespasses and your sins, and once you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the important part. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So this is a one-point sermon. I'm, I'm going to give you a few thoughts at the end. But, 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 but to really, uh, today, there is one main point. It might be the most important point of our faith, and this is it. To be born again is not something that we do. It's something that happens to us. To be born again is not something that we do. It's something that happens to us. See, this concept of being born again, it's probably one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Christian faith. 
Because like Nicodemus, we've, we've turned this into a, a concept about rules. We tell others, if you want to be born again, it begins with the sinner's prayer. You, you have to ask Jesus into your heart, and then you have to tell others of your faith publicly, and then you'll be born a second time. We get this idea from Romans 10. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's true, that's biblical. But that's not what Jesus is getting at when he says we have to be born a second time. See, this is the most important concept all morning. Being born again does not happen because we accept Jesus. We accept Jesus because we've been born again. If you want to get nerdy, we call this the doctrine of regeneration. And it's not until the Holy Spirit moves into our hearts in such a way that we see who Jesus Christ really is, it's not until that moment that we could ever accept him in faith. Let me see if I can explain this. Um, go back to the moment you were born for a minute. I know many of us probably don't remember that moment. That's God's grace to you. But just let me ask this. What steps did you take? What rules did you follow in order to be born? Was it something you consciously did? Something you said or, or was it something that happened to you? See, Jesus lays this concept out really clearly in verse six. Look at this. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. In other words, a fallen humanity can only birth fallen humanity. What began with the fall of Adam and Eve continues to this day, passed on from one generation to the next. And because of this, we are all, every one of us, in need of a second birth. One which is not born of the flesh, but of the spirit. But here's the problem with this kind of a lesson. Um, we're a pragmatic people. I mean, maybe, maybe even subconsciously, we believe that which is flesh can somehow make everything right again. This is one reason why a, a presidential election season gets us so intense and ingrained and frustrated. Because deep down, we know our nation is broken. And so we begin looking to the flesh of a mere man to solve all the world's problems. And our hope deep down, if you think about it, is to see America Reborn. But Jesus tells us only that which is born of the Spirit is going to bring that kind of transformation. See, here's the challenge with this concept of being born again. We, we want a step-by-step -step guide. We want a, a born-again-for-dummies book. Like, this is great, Ryan, rebirth, blah, blah. Look, I just need some concrete steps. Give me some one, two, threes on how to fix my life. What do I need to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? What action must I take to right my wrongs? How can I leave this place feeling good about life again? That's what we really want. But listen to this. If you hear nothing, hear this. There's really only one first step. And this is the good news. The initiator isn't you. See, it's only when the Holy Spirit moves to transform our hearts that we could accept Christ to begin with. Ezekiel 36, 26 says it like this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And Nicodemus' life to this point has been stone cold. He's, he's lived a life that is obsessed with rules and checklists and image and legalism and perfection and reputation. 
600 laws in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. For a Pharisee, you at least had to look the part. It was an exhausting persona to keep up with. And yet Christ tells him, that won't do. First, you have to be born again. And this is not the work of your flesh. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're tracking with me, it still leaves us with this lingering question. We, we have to land the plane. Um, how is it that the Holy Spirit then begins to work on a heart of stone? You might have heard the story of Dwight Moody and, and Henry Morehouse. Um, Moody was a powerhouse preacher back in the 1800s. Um, his preaching led revivals all over the, the nation. He was a, a major foundational pillar in the YMCA. You still hear of the Moody name today, the Moody Publishing Company, Moody Institute, and one day early in Moody's uh, ministry, he was overseas on a tour with Britain. And he ran into this little-known uh, English preacher named Henry Morehouse. And in passing conversation, Morehouse told Moody, he said, one day my dream is to come to America and preach. Well, Moody off the cuff told Morehouse, if you ever find yourself stateside, call me. My pulpit is your pulpit. And Moody had never heard Morehouse preach, but he figured he was safe. What are the chances? He's thousands of miles away, and so he offers him this polite gesture, as we often probably do. Well, one day, many years later, Moody gets a call. It was Morehouse. He had just landed in New York, and he said, I'm in America. I'm coming to Chicago. If the offer still stands, I'm ready to preach this coming Sunday. And it just so happened that Moody was scheduled to be out of town that Sunday and hadn't lined up a guest preacher. So Moody had no excuse but to let it happen. So when he returns later that week, he asked his wife, he said, how did things go on Sunday? And now I'm going to give you a little insight into pastor's wives and conversations. His wife told him, she said, he was incredible. She said, he can out-preach you 10 times over. Moody said, really? What? What is it? She said, no, it's, it's so simple. He just keeps telling people about God's love over and over again. And Moody was skeptical. He said, it seems a bit re repetitive, don't you think? A little too easy? She said, no, 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 uh, repetitive. He hasn't stopped. She said, he's been preaching since Sunday every night at church all weeks. He keeps telling us over and over again about John 3.16. She said, you don't understand. People are coming to faith right and left. See, and Moody said it was right then and there that he realized how the Spirit changes hearts. Not because of something we do, but because of the good news that we receive. Romans 10, 17 says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. 1 Peter 1, says, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. In the 1960s, one of the most intellectual theologians of our time was asked, What is the greatest thought that ever passed through your mind? Of all the books written, of all the lectures that you've given, what is the most profound idea you've ever had? The professor looked down at the ground, he thought about it for quite some time. And then he raised his head and smiled. He said, I'd have to be this. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Just look back at how Jesus explains this. See if this maybe changes the way that we read this scripture. Verse seven, 
He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, as I shared, this sermon really has one point. And that is to be reborn is something that happens to us. It's not something that we do. It's something given to us by the Holy Spirit, moving by the word of God. And by this rebirth, we then respond with giving our lives to Christ. That's the main point of this sermon today, until 3 a.m. And then I have three quick signposts that I want to offer you of what the born-again life looks like. First, the born-again life is a life of rest. Verse 17 tells us, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn it, but in order that you might be saved through him. So to be born again is to strive or to quit striving to earn your salvation. To be born again is to know the facade of our perfection only gets us so far. I think we have to admit all of us have a past, and maybe it was yesterday. And we wonder, what do we do with that brokenness? And I think there's two kind of ways that the the church often leans into this. First, some of us cover it up so that no one will know about it. We hide our insecurities really well. We, We put on a front so that we'll look the part. But others of us, we wallow in it, in the brokenness and sin as though grace never existed. We beat ourselves up until we're bruised from the inside out. Like we can forgive everyone else, but how do I forgive myself? But what God wants from us is neither option, right? Those two are both coping mechanisms. What God wants for us is to simply rest in what Christ has done for us. This is why Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not a day of rest, it's a life of rest. To be born again is is a lifestyle of resting. Second, to be born again then is also a life of gratitude. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. You know, so often in this life, I think our motives get twisted up and we look at our past and we think that we have to pay off a debt somehow to Christ. And yet look at how 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says it. It says, give thanks in every circumstance. I don't know about you, but sometimes I I find myself, I parent by guilt, right? Um, I do things in order to make up for things that I've done undone, that I've not done with my kids. Or we go to church because we feel the shame of not coming in the last two or three weeks. Or we give our tithe as we talked about last Sunday because we want to make up for some past mistake. What if everything we did, though, was not out of any of those things, but out of gratitude for what God has done for us? Think about how freeing that would be. The born-again life is a life of gratitude, which brings me to my final 4 a.m. thought. The born-again life is no longer a life of flesh, it's a life of spirit. For the Christian, rebirth means new life. Look at this in Isaiah 43. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing something new. Now it springs forth, are you looking for it? To be born again is to let the past be the past and now live in the spirit. You've been made clean by the water, washed by the words, so live by the Spirit. Put to death the things of your flesh and live for him. 
And really what this boils down to, what I mean by this, is that we tell others the good news. See, if the Holy Spirit has come in you, then the way that the Holy Spirit moves is by us telling others who he is. The Spirit and the Word are inseparable. John 3.16, I pray we'll hear it afresh this morning. Maybe in a different way we've ever heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the power of what it means to be born again. That as we tell others, God moves. And I just want to say this. If God is moving in your heart right now, if you're asking the question, if you want to live your life in such a way that you respond to that, that news, then now's the opportunity Right now is the time for us to step into that, that new birth that he's given us. And if you've already been reborn in Christ, how much more important is it that we tell others about this good news? Not the news of our works, but the news of what God has done in Jesus Christ for us. Pray with me. God, we, we thank you for, for the fact that even in the midst of the darkness of this world, your word tells us this morning you are light. Lord, we thank you that even when we try to lean into our works and use them as, as ways to prop ourselves up in our achievements, Lord, God, that you make it all come crumbling down. Lord, because we confess that we, without you, are dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, dead in our debts. Lord, and so I just pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would make us alive. God, I ask for any person in this room who has never confessed you as Lord and Savior of their life, Lord, never believed in you before, God, that you would make that a seed that sprouts and gives new life today. Lord, and as for your church, as for us, would we leave this place knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells in us? And Lord, by your Spirit, would you speak your word to a world that is in need of hearing your hope and your truth and your love? We thank you for the gift, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.